Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Let's go straight to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. No, I'll go there after. Let's go to chapter 10 first. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. My assignment today with a few amens from the youngsters I can hear. My assignment today is to share a message called, It's All in Your Head. It's all in your head. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all in your head. It's all in your head. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of you guys have been telling your spouses that for years now. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. And one of the apostles by the name of Paul, who used to be called Saul of Tarsus, he writes a letter to a church in Corinth. And in his letter here, he, he is addressing things that are not just physical. They're not just things that you see natural. And uh, just a few verses we're going to pick up on here in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. He says, Though we walk in the flesh, which is in the body, in the natural, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, what he's saying is, we don't fight with armor. We don't fight with politics. We don't fight with money. We don't fight with these humanistic ways. That's what he's saying. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Some words, strongholds. Strongholds, important word. To destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. A very important scripture for us. Can we just pray this now? Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us and speak through us in Jesus' name. And all the people say it again. Amen. But the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Has anyone ever come across something in their life that they just can't shake, a way of thinking? Perhaps a stronghold to you might be a certain worldview. Perhaps to you a stronghold might be an attitude. A stronghold is not some sort of fleeting moment or a fleeting opinion. A stronghold is something that we cannot shake and that drastically affects how we live. It's all right, they're just kids. We're in a family service. It's going to be fine. Don't freak out. Jesus was okay when he preached the gospel and there were kids. He said, let them come. It's not a problem. Sometimes church can be a bit too sanitized, I think. Hello? It's all right. It's going to be fine. Maybe a stronghold for you might be a worldview like, I don't know, maybe you're here and you're an atheist. You're welcome. That's a stronghold. Maybe you're here and, 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 and you're Muslim. That's a worldview that you have. You're very welcome. Maybe you're here and a worldview might be I don't know, you're consumeristic, you're materialistic. That could be a stronghold. It's not just a thought that comes and goes, it's something that grips you. Maybe that's a stronghold. Maybe that worldview has you, grips you. Perhaps for you it might be um, 
something that you've had for many years now, maybe even decades, and you haven't been able to shake it. Maybe it's an attitude, stronghold of an attitude. Maybe it's fear. Is that a stronghold? Not just that you're afraid at one point or another, but fear grips you. And, and fear perhaps might show itself in fear of man, and then all of a sudden you deal with that, and then all of a sudden it's a fear of failure, and you're feeling like you're, you're overcoming that. And then it might be a fear of responsibility. For me, they're all symptomatics. The root issue here is a stronghold of fear. Maybe you have a stronghold of anxiety. Have you got a and you just tend to continually be anxious and a stronghold in your life. Maybe it's guilt, resentment, greed, rebellion, envy, hatred, idolatry, jealousy, strife, contention. You name it, it could be an attitude that is a stronghold in your life. And Paul addresses this, the apostle. It's it's not of the flesh that we're talking about. There is divine power to destroy these strongholds. These strongholds. And have a guess where these strongholds exist. In the Bible, at times we can see that synonym, synonymous with thoughts and minds, intents. In Proverbs, we can read, for a man thinks in his heart, how they connected together. Well, this is the stronghold. It's all in your head. You can say it's all in your heart. They're synonymous in this conversation. So a stronghold exists deep within us, and it's time to do something about it. Have you perhaps existed with this stronghold in your life for so long, not knowing how to deal with it, you've just now lived with it? You've just, you've put up with it now. I'm here to tell you that there is a doorway, and that doorway is faith, and to never let go. Josie, as you were sharing, you know I had that exact same word this morning about faith. According to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith, be it unto you. Your mind is this amazing supercomputer, this wonderful control center for your life God has given to us. And he is saying, kids, I want you, by the power of my spirit, to have mastery over the way that you think. Because if you can have mastery over the way that you think, it will change how you walk. It will change how you talk. It would change the experience of life. It's not just about trying to control the tongue or control where you go. Those are important, but it's more about God working in you and with you to have mastery over how you think and relate to God. He wants to give us freedom. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in its fullness. And there's hope for you. Maybe this morning you've come and you have not yet experienced Jesus. May today be the day of salvation. Before the, before the moment you leave today, you'll be given a clear opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And so with this amazing 
super God gifts to us to help us live, to help us function, there is a battleground. Your mind is a battlefield and the enemy knows this. The enemy does not have control over your mind, but he certainly does try to influence it. You know that, don't you? He tries to feed you lies. He is the father of lies. He is the accuser of the brethren. And he is trying to constantly manipulate you wherever he can. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to be smart. He's been around for a while. He knows how humanity functions. But I tell you what, we've got the Spirit of God. And he knows everything. And he's all powerful. So how do we do it? What do we do? Well, here are some things to consider. Number one, first thing, if you take notes, write this down. Don't believe everything you think. Hello? Do not believe everything you think. (laughs) I have quite an active imagination. That's enough out of you. I used to freak myself out sometimes when I'm sitting down uh, in church services and uh, Pastor Phil used to be preaching. And as he's preaching, I'm thinking of doing somersaults and acrobatics in a circus. I'm thinking, what am I doing? I'm, I'm supposed to be following the preaching of the word. And I'm a leader in the church and I'm thinking about being in a circus. What is going on here in my head? <laughs> Literally, I have quite an active imagination. Now, if, if I'm thinking that, that doesn't say, well, I believe I'm an acrobatic type of a person. How silly is that? Just because I think it doesn't mean that I should believe it. And at times, you're going to think some pretty crazy things. And at those moments, you have a decision on what you're going to do. Are you going to let that thought, which is where all your sin is conceived, is in your mind. Before you sin, it starts somewhere. You've got to arrest those thoughts and say, no, I want to believe what's true. I want to make a decision and not let my thoughts wander. Some of you, you struggle with this. You let one thought lead to another, lead to another. And because of these strongholds, fear, anxiety, greed, whatever it is, it just feeds those thoughts. And you know it, you're off in la-la land. Can I hear an amen or an ouch? Oh, yeah, we're going this morning. Come on. I didn't take my medication. When my, when my younger, I was, I was joking. I told you I've got an active imagination. When my younger brother was about five years old, he was a, a, a fanatic for Superman. Like, he used to love Superman when he was five, six years old. He used to have the Superman outfit. He'd have the, the, the cape the big S, he used to do his hair just like man, my brother Matt. He used to do the little curl on his forehead as well. <laughs> and he, he was thinking so much about Superman and he so much wanted to be the superhero named Superman. So we used to call him Superboy in the house. And he loved it so much that he believed that when he grew up, he was actually going to become Superman. Me being the loving brother that I am, I, I fed that. True story. I said, yeah, when, and my Uncle Mike helped as well. We said, when you turn seven years old, you are actually going to turn into Superman. That's your seventh birthday. He thought it at first. We fed it. 
and then he believed it. So he started practicing flying with his cape on. He would get on walls and <laughs> there were a few injuries along the way. <laughs> and then um, it really came to the fore when he jumped off the roof. <laughs> uh, I've lost half of you right now. I gave him an umbrella to practice just in case anything happened. So he was okay. Sooner or later, though, my brother Matt realized it was all a lie. He's still alive, so it's okay. He doesn't talk to me anymore. (laughs) It's a joke. Have you ever believed something that just wasn't true? And through that lie, you have fumbled your way through trying to make it true. Walls, off roofs, hurting yourself again and again and again. Maybe you've had some friends trying to tell you the truth, but it's been such a stronghold to you, it's been such a lie to you that you haven't wanted to let it go. Well, the great news is that God's Spirit will lead us through all truth. Hello? And He instructs us, He leads us. In fact, He tells us how to think. This is what He says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He doesn't just say, stop thinking about the wrong stuff. Because you've got to replace the wrong stuff with the right stuff. If you've got bad habits in your life, don't just stop the bad habits. Replace it with the right ones. If you have an addictive personality and you're on Facebook or Instagram all the time and Twitter, put, you want to put that, don't just break that habit. Pick up the Bible. Replace one bad habit with a better one. Something that'll do you good. And Paul says to the church at Philippi, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is noble, fill your head with those things. Hello? Are you with me? You're still with me? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? So, don't believe everything you think. Work out what is right and allow God's Spirit to show you. But, very importantly, number two, vigilantly guard what goes in. Vigilantly guard what goes in. Because particularly your eye gate and your ear gate informs your mindset. What are you exposing your eyes to? What are you looking at? What are you reading? What is your gaze upon? What are you listening to? Who are you listening to? This is what it says in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So worship's not just singing a few songs on a Sunday morning. Your life is worship. Your conduct, how you live is worship. 
He goes on to say in verse 2, same writer, Paul, says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. What what, what, What does Paul mean, don't be conformed? He says, don't become like this world. Don't become like the world. How does that happen? How do we become like the world? Well, the undercurrent here is that you understand that Satan is trying to disciple you just like God wants to. Do you know that? Do you know how God wants to disciple us to Christ? Because we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's in Romans, right? God has planned for us to become like Jesus. Well, the enemy's intention is also to disciple you. He wants you to be conformed to the world, to think like the world and therefore live like the world. How does he do that? Primarily through your eye gate and your ear gate. He is endeavoring to disciple you, to influence you. Hello. So, he puts things in front of you to look at, to observe to inform your thoughts. He uses people to speak to you, conversations perhaps, stories to listen to, perhaps for you it's self-talk and you're saying things to yourself again and again and again. Those little murmurings, those little mumblings that come out of your mouth and you're hearing again this this self-fulfilling negative loop. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed. But be very, very careful. Be vigilant with what you're allowing yourself to be fed because it's shaping how you think. Now, why it's so important with how we think? Because how we think informs our words. Our words inform our actions. Our actions inform our habits. Our habits inform our values. Our values become our destiny. It all starts up here in this supercomputer and God says, hey, take every thought captive. Destroy those strongholds that are there. And don't do it by yourself. I'm here to help you. So vigilantly guard what goes in. And I get it. That there are some things that we can't avoid. There are some tragedies that we cannot unsee. As a youngster growing up, I have seen one or two things that I cannot unsee. But I'm not going to let that determine my future. It might shape, but it doesn't define. Hello? So a lot of it comes down to perspective. A lot of it comes down to decision. What decisions will you make today? A set of twins were once, once raised by an alcoholic father. And one of the young boys, when he grew up, became an alcoholic like his father. He was asked, what happened? You, you're an alcoholic. And the, the young man said, I was raised by an alcoholic. 
The other man grew up, but he never touched alcohol in his whole life. And he was asked, you've never touched alcohol. What happened? And the man said, I was raised by an alcoholic. It all comes down to perspective. What decision will we make with what's in front of us? See, I don't want to play the victim card my whole life. I don't want my life to be defined by my past. I am not just some victim of past. I am a product of the cross. And as soon as I come to Jesus on a daily basis, I need to His Spirit inform who I am and how I live. And that so drastically shapes how I think. Maybe it's time for some of you to make a decision. So, is a call to let go of stubbornness. Don't be such a bonehead. Don't look at your spouse, right? I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. Let's not be so hard-headed when it comes to God. And if he's going to touch on something that may be, oh, Lord, that's too hard for me to deal with. Ask him for grace. His grace is not just a ticket into eternity. His grace is an empowerer for change. Hello? So, in saying that, we should never graduate from learning. Never graduate from learning. To have a mindset that is, that is plastic, this, this, this term might be called neuroplasticity. In medicine, they discuss this, how our brains have this amazing ability. A hundred billion neurons, they say. I don't know how they can count a hundred billion neurons, but that's what they say. And this amazing ability for our minds to bend in how we think and create new tracks. I love, one of the great things I love about having three small girls is they're at a stage where they just want to learn all the time. Sometimes they'll say, no, Dad, leave me alone. I already know that. One of them in particular, I'm not mentioning any names, says, Dad, don't tell me. I already know. I already know. Leave me, Dad. Goodness me. But one thing I really love is many nights as I'm tucking them in bed, I'm praying with them, I'll read them a story or something. They'll, they'll ask me this question. Dad, would you teach me something? Teach me something. And I'm racking, I'm thinking about science, I'm thinking about the Bible, I'm thinking about family, I'm thinking about... And they come up with the wackiest things ever. <laughs> One of them just again the other day was saying, um, so dad, when you die... <laughs> They're constantly thinking about this. I've shared this to some of you before. So dad, when you die, mum's in charge, right? And when mum dies... Grace is in charge, right? (laughs) And so when Grace is in charge, I'm in charge, right? Esther says. But when I die, no one's in charge because Hope's got no one else to boss around. (laughs) Constantly thinking. Constantly. Constantly wanting to learn. 
It's remarkable to me that we only tend to have this learning mindset when we're in what we would think is some sort of classroom setting. If we're going to a TAFE or a uni or a, or a school or, or a course or something. The whole of life is a classroom. Do you know that? And if we are humble enough to admit that we can not know everything, God can teach us a few things. That's one of the great things I love about my girls at the moment. It's not just that they're growing in intelligence in wanting to know. It's that that is a fruit of humility. Teachability is a fruit of humility. And if you think you know it all, that sniffs and reeks of pride. And God says, you got it all sorted out. I'll leave you to it then. But the moment that we say, Lord, I, I, I got nothing. Can you help me learn something, Lord? He says, all right, let me speak to that mindset of yours. And humility is a fruit of Jesus himself. So may Jesus come and do a work. Romans 12, 2, the second verse there, it says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That word transformed is metamorphal. What does it sound like? Metamorphosis. It does, doesn't it? That's where it comes from. By the renewal, making new, anakanu, of your mind. Naus, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There are two words here that are important. Transformed and mind. Meta, metamorphosis, transformation of the mind, naus. And those two words form a word, metanoia. Metanoia, which means repentance. Who's heard of that repentance word before? It's not a bad or a dirty word. It's a good word. To repent, to change the way that you think. Over a hundred times in the Bible, you'll see the word repent or repented or repentance. It's an important word. Over 100 times. And God says, kids, I want you to keep repenting. Keep changing the way that you think to come up to a new default setting in me. And repentance is this, agreeing with God's thoughts. So when we repent and believe we change our thinking, not just I'm changing an opinion, it's changing enough to follow itself, a fruit being changed living. When we repent and believe in the gospel, we're changing our thinking so that our lives show that that repentance was real. And I, and, and I need to repent to change the way that I think on a daily basis. I need to keep learning more on a daily basis because I don't have it all sorted out just yet. But the one thing that I do know, the most important thing to repent of is unbelief and to believe in the good news of Jesus. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never really repented, changed your thinking, to pivot, to change your thing 180 and said yes to God. Maybe you've never really done that. Maybe you've just been attending church your whole life and you've never said yes to Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross. May today be the day of salvation for you. How do you know if repentance is real? Your life will show it. Can I borrow your glasses, please, Josie? Can I borrow your little shawl there, please, Ellen? Whoa, snap. How do you do this, Josie? <laughs> okay. All right. I, I'm really having a hard time seeing you. Um, who are you? Can I borrow your jacket, please, Colleen? Yeah. All right. 
I'm going to have to tilt my glasses down because I'm starting to get a headache, Josie. Yeah. Take your time, Colleen. We're not, we're not waiting. Okay. All right. Oh, this is... Hello. Um, so, <clears throat> as you can see, I've changed my clothes and my attire. And therefore, I have changed my identity. I'm now a different person. No, you're not, Josh. You're just an idiot at the moment. Changing your clothes doesn't change who you are. Changing your address doesn't change who you are. Changing your cologne doesn't change who you are. Changing your friends doesn't even change who you are. Changing your profile on Facebook does not change who you are. You're just changing things about you. But if you change your mind, you become a different person. Why do we spend so much time and energy and effort trying to change what we look like on the outside to convince others or even ourselves that we're different people? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Perhaps it's time for some of us to change our minds. Saul of Tarsus, I mentioned him before, he was known and feared for persecuting and even executing Christians. He was a, a brutal opponent of Jesus and the church of Jesus. He in his mind had a stronghold. He had an opinion that changed how he functioned. And all of a sudden, Jesus himself appears to him. His perspective, Saul's perspective so much that Saul made a decision to not persecute the church of Jesus anymore. That changed how he lived. He changed his mind and then he changed his life. We've already read from several letters that he wrote because he changed how he thought, which changed how he lived. I had a stronghold in my mind many years ago about God, myself. And it took God's Spirit to show me. I didn't realize this, but I was afraid of God. I was actually scared of Him. And I didn't know this. This is as a leader in the church. I remember sitting in a service in Westchester Road, and I was waiting on the Lord, and I felt like Jesus. It was a, God showed me a picture of Jesus taking me by the hand up to the throne room, and in that picture that I said, and I'm just, I'm just praying, right? And I'm just waiting. All of a sudden, I get this picture. And Jesus took me by the hand and he said, come and sit on Father's lap, who was seated on the throne. And so as I was led by the hand of Jesus, this picture as I was praying, 
it was like Jesus was grabbing me by the hand and I didn't want to go around the corner to see God the Father. I was too scared. And I was just afraid of him. And when I saw that picture, it kind of freaked me out a little bit. Like, what is that? What is that, Lord? I'm afraid of God the Father. I had fear of God the Father. As I prayed that out, what I realized I had done, I had created a God in my own image. And I had to let the Holy Spirit change how I thought. That's changed how I now live. You couldn't tell me that that's what I believed. God's Spirit had to do that. And that's my final point. And I'll finish with this. You've got to let God lead you. Thanks, JL. Because to change your mind and to try and change your change or anything really is a waste of time unless the Spirit of God does the work. Paul again writes, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and work for His good. It's the Spirit who works in you. He shows you something and He doesn't just leave you with that thing. He says, now let me help you do something with it. Which is why in 2 Corinthians 7 it says this, when Paul writes a letter, a pretty harsh letter, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter that I grieved you, though only for a while. Verse 9 and verse 10. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because, watch this, you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. What's he saying? Paul is saying this. You can try and repent, but unless God does it, it's just works of the flesh. Any repentance we try and conjure up, even if we might have grief and experience grief, and we might even weep with tears. Your emotions does not change you. You can cry till you're blue in the face and go and back and do the same silly things you did before. You could be so grieved. But unless there is a God-led, God-motive decision, it's, you're still in the same place. And unless we allow God's Spirit to work with us in that place of grief, to move us to a changed mind, there's no change at all. So here is an invitation. God says, hey, you can't change you. You can't do it. You can try and change your behavior. You can try and change your clothes. You can try and change your address. You can try and change your house. You can try and change your car. I don't care if you change your undies. But you're not changing as a person unless you work with me to change how you think. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So if you're not happy about your life, Stop making excuses. <laughs> Make a decision. Make a decision. Make a decision to take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't have time for anxiety. I don't have time for unbelief. I don't have time for pride. I don't have time for fear. I don't have time for greed. I don't have time for envy. I don't have time for lies. I don't have time for insecurities. I don't have time.
for excuses. But I do have time for God. And when I say yes to Him and it changes my mind, what it's doing is it's changing the default settings. It's, it's getting a software upgrade. So the new normal is different. The new normal. That every time from this point that I need to do a, a reset, it's back to the latest version. I wonder if he wants to do a reset in you. I wonder if he wants to do a... I wonder if he wants to give you an upgrade. You can read all the books and listen to all the sermons and you have all the conversations, but unless the Spirit of God leads you and changes you, you ain't changing. Your change will last a week, maybe even a month. I need him to do it. I'm not in just some sort of religion following some guy's teachings and that be it. Those are great teachings. But they're life-giving and life-transforming because the person comes with those teachings. Jesus himself. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.